welcome to the Hoof and Fang podcast. I'm Kurt Graves. And I'm Mazmetics. What's new, dude? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, this past weekend I was able to knock out a ton of words. So I'm in the, like the part of when I'm writing where I'm deeply in love with the story and I just can't wait to get back to it. So Yay. yeah, which is the best. And it's, it's going to be a slow decline because this is just part of my process to where I go from <laughs> being like absolutely in love with it to like fucking hating it, sure. <laughs> but I'm not there yet. I'm in the puppy love stage. Mm. So yeah, but I've been, I made such good headway over the weekend. So now I'm just like so excited to get back to my chaotic idiot Dallas boy yeah, so, yeah. we love your chaotic idiot <laughs> what about yes. you uh this week I am working on our hoof and fang audiobook Exciting. of the month eternal sin mm-hmm. uh so yeah that's what's top of mind for me that's awesome I can't wait to start proofing that one so I it's get... it's great yeah. it's gonna be a lot of fun awesome. uh, I think listeners are gonna love it and vampires I don't actually I don't get to do a lot of vampires really that's surprising really? yeah like hmm. I maybe was typecast as werewolf. <laughs> yeah, from, so it's either or, I guess. From the beginning of my career. Yeah. And like you, I guess you only get to do one. So in order to do vampires, I had to create a podcast and a production company and contract with an author. <laughs> and now I get to do a vampire. Yay. Several vampires, in fact. Great. Well, now your cup runneth over. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to That's get more what, vampire submissions is what you're saying. Well... <laughs> We'll see how this one's received. Fair. We'll see. We'll see if I'm any good at it, uh, and then we'll take it from there. So that's yeah. fair. That's fair. yeah, that's that's what I'm working on. Uh, speaking of Eternal Sin, mm-hmm. it comes out one week from today. Yes. So if, if you are listening to this podcast the day it is released, it is one week from today, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we hope you will enjoy it and tell all your friends and uh, let them know the best way, the best deal for that audiobook is to sign up for our Patreon. Mm-hmm. And then just remember to cancel it at the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, if you just want that one. Otherwise, let it ride and you get more free audiobooks. Right. So. Uh, yeah, I would say, or if you're really not up for that possibility, uh, you can just buy the book outright mm-hmm. at our online store. And we hope that you will listen to it. And we hope that you will take the time to let us know what you thought. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are like a book blogger or a bookstagrammer or you know someone who is and they would like to review our audiobooks, have them reach out to us. Yeah. We, we do not have anything officially set up at the moment, um, but we are certainly open to reviewers with blogs and bookstagram and whatnot mm-hmm. wanting to review the stuff that we do. Uh, so, yeah, let us know if that's something you are interested in. And then since we're talking about audiobook stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there uh, one more time that we are running our poll in our Patreon for our January audiobook of the month. Yep. And we so, still have some, you guys still have some time to go in and vote. That so. goes to the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So if you are hearing this on the day it comes out, you have like a week and a half. Yeah. A little more than that to, to go cast your vote, check out what the options are. Let us know what you are most excited about mm-hmm. um, and feel free to talk up any of them in the comments uh, or on social media so we can see that enthusiasm, yep. uh, especially if you are enthusiastic about more than one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. let us know. So speaking of things that we enjoy, like audiobooks and mm-hmm. voting on cool po- polls and such, I wanted to pick and your other brain. things and- on cool polls. Yes. Uh, hey. <laughs> we're ridiculous. That was last week's discussion. Yeah, yeah right. Now we're, we're trying to segue here. Okay. Um, we, I wanted to pick your brain about guilty pleasures. Mm. So I I actually 
got in my own head about this and was like, am I thinking of the right thing when I'm thinking of guilty pleasure? So okay. I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> it is defined as something such as a movie, television program, or piece of music that one enjoys just despite feeling that it's not generally held in high regard. So mm. the trashy things that you sure. like that you're kind of embarrassed that you like. Right. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say that I'm not embarrassed by any of it. Yeah. Cause I'm almost 40 and who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah. Right. You just let that go at it, this point. Yeah, It's just a pleasure mm -hmm. at this point. Um, I don't believe in feeling guilty about it, but by that definition, right. Um, yeah, I maybe have a couple things I could talk about. Yeah. Do you have a couple things you could talk For about? For sure. I like, I have a weird relationship with guilty pleasure stuff. Cause I'm definitely in the same ballpark where I'm almost 40 and I'm like, I don't care what other people think of me, but every once in a while when I am enjoying something that I know is objectively terrible, mm -hmm. I'm a little embarrassed by it. I'm like, right. Oh yeah, I can see why people don't like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is crap, but I like well, it. Well, and I guess like to a certain degree, if I thought it was crap, mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't enjoy it. That's fair. Um, but yes, you sometimes I am aware that like in the zeitgeist or like popular opinion is this mm -hmm. isn't very good. Yeah, but I still like it. Mm -hmm. I still think it's good. Yeah, I think it has value. Yeah, uh, and therefore it does. That's because fair. it's for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that's how I feel where I'm like, it makes me happy. So it does have value. Mm -hmm. But also, I guess I, <laughs> I'm just so used to a lot of the stuff that I like just being crap. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is bad. I still like it. Yeah. So what is an example of something that you so consider or would be categorized as a guilty pleasure? So I think what really drove it home was I think last year or the year before I did my Spotify wrapped up or whatever mm -hmm. so it shows you like what you've been binging for that year and i was having my moment of being really into um like eight bit chip tune music like video game sounding music okay and it's very niche and it's ridiculous but like i was like it helped me daydream i was just really into it so i listened to a lot of it so i like i was comparing my weird playlist <laughs> against like my other friends who are listening to like really cool stuff mm -hmm. or like like I've got metal heads that are like really into cool metal music and like somebody else who's like really into Taylor Swift or something so and, many people who are really into Taylor yeah that's Swift. like everyone but and like meanwhile and yours is like do 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 yeah, and I was like I'm never sharing my Spotify wrapped up ever again you be productive though that's yeah. better than the porn music you were listening to earlier today you know what shut up <laughs> i was listening to lo-fi girl and it yeah it, it took a little bit of a a lean that it was just, yeah it just it 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 veered into yeah you <laughs> leaned in you're like what are you listening to? yeah i was like what what is that <laughs> i thought you were working yeah. <laughs> oh my god oh uh, yeah uh my guilty pleasures uh probably veer more towards um things that i am loyal to that maybe i shouldn't be okay um so i have two examples of tv shows that i watch that i will never stop watching as long as they're making them and people generally think they're not good okay uh the first is uh the sex in the city sequel okay and just like that yeah um i don't care that people think it's bad <laughs> That's fair. i don't care that people don't like some of the characters who they have added to the show uh i Loved that series when it was on. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the movies, even the bad one. Okay. Those girls are my friends. <laughs> I like the friends that they make in the shows. Yeah. Uh, I am just happy they're back on my television, mm -hmm. and I will enjoy watching them do whatever they want to do. That's fair. That's for me. Yeah. That's for me. 
That show is for me. And yeah. clearly it's for enough other people that they keep making it. I was about to say, they've got like a sequel and a bunch of movies, so it can't be that terrible mm-hmm. if everyone like if it has that kind of a fan base. Right. Right. So, uh, and then the other one is newer. I'm very into the Gilded Age right now, okay. which is uh, Julian Fellows, who made Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. has created basically like an analog to that show, but takes place in New York City instead of England. Okay. Uh, so, you know, period costumes and yeah, yeah, intrigue and melodrama. I mean, it's a soap <laughs> opera for sure, but I love it. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So, and again, I think critics are mixed on whether or not we would call that good. <laughs> Fair. But but I enjoy it yeah. and it has actresses that I love in it. So like, I want to watch them. That's fair. I want to watch. Yeah. I, I'm going to enjoy happy, myself especially- and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. That's something fair. I should feel bad about. Okay. And I don't know. Maybe I should feel guilty about this, mm-hmm. but you know, I like to hate watch that YouTuber who does yes. makeovers on, <laughs> on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a very unique type of guilty pleasure. Cause you're watching it anger like with yeah. anger like boiled into I it i cannot be the only one who hate watches oh, no. things oh i do i absolutely Certainly watched not. an entire series on netflix that was garbage and i hated it but i watched it and so every time alex would walk in he's like why are you still watching this i'm like i don't know yeah. i'm so <laughs> mad at it but i keep it just let it run yeah so i don't know we're our brains are weird but yeah i i think my trashy tv thing i, I like i had to think about it because i was like well my default was The Office, but I don't think The Office is bad. I think I just watch it a lot. Uh, many, many, many people like The Office. Yeah, but I yeah. think the thing that I watched that I am always a little embarrassed by was I was really into Hoarders for a little while. Oh, yeah. And that's garbage. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just objectively Super. terrible. Yes. So, like, and, like, after I learned that the show is actually exploitive and terrible, I don't mm-hmm. watch it anymore. Right. But for a while, I was like, I watched that, and I was like, that was my guilty pleasure thing. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> sure. It's like, I watched the shit out of it. So... Yeah, I think that was my, that was my one. Like, no, that one's actually bad. Yeah, <laughs> don't watch that. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be making entertainment out of people's mental illnesses, right? Yeah, because I like <laughs> when I first watched it, I was like, oh, they're getting help, and then when you actually look into it, you're like, oh, they're super not helping these people mm-hmm. at all. That's bad. Not in so, any productive way. No, not really. Maybe like one in one hundred people. Sure. The the little pittance of help that they offer with the cameras on them. Yeah. In a super high stress situation, do they get something out of it? Mm-hmm. But mostly they're probably just not making. They're ju- they're just they're making, making it worse yeah. most of the time. <laughs> they're making it worse to make a buck, and that's terrible. So, yeah. Yeah, that's an actual like, not guilty pleasure, just bad. <laughs> like, right. Just don't watch it. Right. But yeah, that and um, do you have a movie that you think is just like most people don't like that you re- other than the sex and sex in the city ones? I could maybe put Julie and Julia in that bucket. Okay. Um, but Meryl Streep was nominated for an Oscar for it, so. Oh. I don't, I don't think that bad. we can call it bad. Yeah. I, I think we can say that it's held in high regard. Okay. Uh, same with like, maybe like the devil wears Prada, like basically streeps in which Meryl uh, streeps <laughs> movies in which there is a Meryl streep. You could just call them streeps. Even, if she's when, in they're, it. even when they're not great. Yeah. Uh, streepies. Streepies. Movie, yeah. Streepies. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I enjoy her and I enjoy her performances. Yeah. And I really enjoy Julie and Julia because there's also uh, France and cooking and like healthy adult marriages which oh, nice. like when do you see that in entertainment never um so that maybe that's more of a comfort watch than a guilty pleasure yeah but i that would be the closest thing i could think of to something that i would feel yeah guilty about watching mm-hmm. that's fair i think like comfort watching guilty pleasure those lines blur quite a bit right yeah so. yeah how about you 
Mine was Sucker Punch. Did you ever see that movie? I know the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, me and violence. Right. Yeah, it's it's violent. But I'm a lady. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I went and saw that movie and thought it was so great. Mm-hmm. And everyone else who's ever watched it is like that movie's garbage. Like, right. yeah. but I liked it. Yeah. It is bad. It's a terrible movie. But I was like super into it. I was like freaking cute ladies punching things mm-hmm. in the face with like over the top action and fun music and stuff. Right. I was like, yeah, it's my jam. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's bad. Right. Well, <laughs> so. by that measure too, like basically any Marvel thing I watch at this point, like I'm, I'm a hanger on, mm-hmm. I'm loyal. I'm yeah. sticking with it. Uh, it doesn't mean I can't acknowledge that it's bad, Yeah, but I'll watch it again. Cause it's just, it's fun. It's fun it's, for it's, me. Yeah. I like seeing superheroes. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm so far behind I've watched on that The Eternals stuff. like five times and everybody's like, it's the worst one. And I was like, it's pretty. Yeah. I mean, at this point, if you're so like hanging on to the Marvel stuff, that's why you're watching it. It's pretty. It's like, pretty. There's yeah. pretty effects. There's pretty people in it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they're feel good movies. Like yeah. who cares? Right. Yeah. But yeah. What about food? I added this as like an extra, I think, because I was hungry. Mm, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Do you have like a guilty pleasure food that you know you're not supposed to eat, but it's like your Most favorite? Most of them. Most foods. <laughs> You have, most of them, yeah. yeah. I mean, is I mean, it, <laughs> most food is bad for us? I think so. Right at this point, yeah. Right when we're chasing down forty at this, like mm-hmm. if I I had too many chips yesterday and had heartburn, and I was like, yeah. is that my life? Is that where I'm at? Yeah, it's it fun, cool, uh-huh. love it. Yeah, mm. yeah. If it's not, a, if it didn't come from the ground, we're not supposed to be eating it anymore. No, including like animal protein. <laughs> like, yeah, it's all going to make us feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I will say like, I am a cake person. I'll oh, never say cake. no to cake. Yeah. And I feel like people aren't giving cake. It's due. Mm-hmm. You can go to birthday parties and there is no cake. What? You can go to weddings and there is no cake. That's true. I see one more fucking ice cream bar mm-hmm. at an event. I'm going to throw the table over <laughs> That is, Where's the that's goddamn a crime. cake? Yeah, that's no. Like, cake is not something you just make for a Tuesday. It's always for the special event. And if we don't yeah. start having it, if we don't keep having it at special events, it's gone forever. Yeah, right? Yeah. You can't erase that. Like, that is why you go to those events. I mean, I guess because you're friends with uh, people. Celebrate and the person. Blah, 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 blah. But the cake. cake. Yeah. 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 No, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm sweets is my thing. Like, that mm-hmm. is, I will always want dessert, even if I'm super full. Sure. <laughs> Well, it makes room. Mm-hmm. There's always room for dessert. Yeah, it's a separate Because it stomach. usually melts. Yeah. Or squishes into the, mm-hmm. the empty spaces. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's just uh, physics. Yeah, that's science. And biology. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> perfect sense. I'm totally to going to get some cake on the way home. Yeah. Just, I'll just stop and get one of those like big, <laughs> fat slices. I'll yeah. have to eat it in the car because Alex is on a diet. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> the only other thing that I would say is a guilty pleasure Food wise is like car trip food. Oh yeah. Like I just firmly believe that if you were in the car for more than an hour, you need a salty snack. Mm-hmm. You need a sweet snack or like a gummy. Yeah. Uh, so like a licorice or gummy bear or sour patch kids or something like that. Right. Um, and then also chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. You need those three things. Mm-hmm. That's if, if you're not eating like a toddler when you're on a road trip, you're doing it wrong. Right. Like you have to be eating some just pure garbage. Otherwise you're not on a road trip. Right. That's part of it. Because it sits in the gut mm-hmm. better, yeah. you know, and and you don't want to be making a lot of bathroom stops. Right. So you need something that just kind of sits in the gut. Yeah, it doesn't and digest. And a couple it. days later after <laughs> you've reached your destination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're like overly processed so you don't have to, like it takes your body a long time to break it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Science. Yeah. Man, we are educating people today <laughs> about how the stomach works, how food's processed. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. That's why they really dial in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of learning about things, mm-hmm. we had a surprisingly philosophical and educational conversation uh, with author Mia Monroe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were supposed to be talking about eternal sin. Right. Which we did. A we do bit. talk about yeah. that. Uh, but we also got into some pretty big questions about vampire, like what would, an, in real life, what would a vampire be like? Yeah. And how could they affect society? Mm-hmm. And and also some pretty f- like deep conversations about like sex and sexuality. So mm-hmm. um, Mia Monroe is obsessed with vampires, mermaids, and tattoos, all of which make regular appearances in her books. She's fluent in sarcasm. addicted to caffeine same and easily amused by memes she may or may not be a witch her books are low to mid angst high heat and celebrate the many ways people of all types can fall in love even the paranormal kind after all love is love love that here is our strangely deep conversation with mia monroe Welcome back to the podcast, author Mian Monroe. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah. Welcome back. Uh, as we were just saying, you are our first return guest. Mm-hmm. Milestone for us. Yeah. Uh, badge special. of honor for you. There you go. Do I get I a little back? <laughs> I want a gold sticker. It's in the mail. Yeah, okay, I was okay. say, we'll get some stickers mm-hmm. like crafted, I think. <laughs> uh, but what's exciting is that you're here today, one, on your own. So last mm-hmm. last we talked to you was when we were talking to you about uh, work that you do with the author, Cam Newhold. Uh, this is just you. And the reason you're here is to talk about Eternal Sin, Yay. which is our November audiobook of the month. So excited. I'm so excited. I can't I'm so wait. excited. <laughs> I can't wait to chat about this book um, and just to let our listeners know more about it. Um, before we do that, though, do you just want to give like the short version of your, your story again for anybody who may have missed the first episode? How I got here. Um, you know, I actually think it's kind of a funny story because I, I lived in Massachusetts. I grew up in Massachusetts, um, which if you're familiar, or at least you've heard some rumors, it's kind of a haunted place. And uh, you grow up just, it's normal to you. Um, I used to walk through uh, really decrepit cemeteries to get to school because it was a shortcut. And um, yeah, and those kinds of things just, they're just part of your norm. You know, old It's like hocus pocus. I mean, actually, yeah, it is. And I lived in Salem, actually, for a while. Amazing. Um, I was a teenager, so... I'm sure my like in hocus pocus. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Funny, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know why, given my experience with that, that it took me so long to embrace paranormal. Um, but it did, and so when I first started writing, for some reason, I just naturally went into contemporary. Um, and again, I don't know why. I think that's just because that's what I was reading at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, that was just this, the segue that I took. Um, and then uh, sometime in, I think it was 2021, I read a book by Lily Morton called uh, On a Midnight Clear. And it's a, it's a story, if you don't know, I won't spoil it, but it's a story about a guy who's 
basically in love with a statue and the statue comes to life with some magic and other cool things happen in the book. And um, I was so swept up by this world that she created. And granted, Lily Morton is an exceptional writer, but I, I wanted to be able to create something like that for people. And um, when I started thinking about it, I just naturally gravitated to vampires. I think that's always been a uh, an allure for me because they're, you know, they're at least how they're depicted. They're kind of sexy and they're kind of a little dangerous because so they've got the bad boy vibe. Um, but the, I also like that they're very, uh, they look human so they mm-hmm. could just blend in with society and they could just be walking amongst us and we would have no idea. I was just about so, to say, I think that is part of why they are so popular. It's the notion that like, Anybody they just look be, like us yeah. and and the most myths say that they used to be us like they are humans yes. who became supernatural mm-hmm. and yes. i think that is always sort of an appeal to people as well yeah, like for sure. exactly i mean i know i was not the only kid like waiting for a genie to give me my powers yes. or <laughs> for like zordon to call me up in action <laughs> as a power ranger like yes. all those stories about teenagers getting like mutant spiders please come bite me right like all of it like those stories where it's like you were just a normal kid but then but then fate intervened yeah now you have cool superpowers and can't die (laughs) yeah yeah exactly Exactly. i think that is the appeal of vampires is i agree with you is one they were human like us and i like the so i'm also like a huge history buff so i like the idea that you can live for you know hundreds of years and experience things Although this particular period in time is hmm, not so great, but right. <laughs> if I was if I had been alive, you know, for a few hundred years, I'd seen some cool stuff, right? So yeah, uh, I guess that's why vampires appeal to me, and so I just um, stepped down on a limb and decided to go for it. I'm a huge fan of Interview with the Vampire, the the 1994 movie, and um, so I just wanted to kind of capture that as as best as I could in a, in a more modern way, which is what my first series covens of Eaton falls was, uh, an attempt to Mm. create. This is a total non sequitur and I'm sorry that I'm doing this so early in our conversation, but I just, the way we were talking about, uh, how they live for such a long time, Mm. it makes me wonder like, would a vampire ever go into politics? I feel like that would be tricky though. Wouldn't it? Like, cause I mean, you, you I mean, they'd have to, have to leave the up. political scene eventually. Yeah, they'd have to die off or something. Right. Because, I mean, your life is under like a microscope but, at that point. Yeah, but think of the wisdom and the experience that would come with, like, they could fix some shit. If they were good. Because, I mean, you know, like, history repeats itself. And it's because right. we're so bad at remembering the things we've gone through before. Like, well, and we're bad at associating it to ourselves. Yes. Right? Like, we can't. We, we can see things that happen to some other culture, some other people, but we have difficulty relating that to our own modern experience, which right. mm-hmm. if, you, if you just try, it's really easy, but a lot of us don't. Um, and what I think is really funny about you saying that is because before I came up with Immortal Assassins, my idea actually was a government takeover um, <gasps> nice. by vampires. But as I got into it more with the current political environment being so unpleasant, I felt that it was kind of too much uh, art imitating life (laughs) or the other way around. And so um, I backed off of that because I didn't have intention to write it with a very heavy political focus, um, like realism or real events. 
but I thought it could really be just reading a blurb or a title could really put some people off. If, sure. Um, we're all trying to avoid politics sometimes when we're reading. So I actually switched gears a little bit. But um, to your point, I actually thought it would be fascinating if vampires were running the country. Yeah. Because um, for one, they do have the background. And for two, um, a lot of lore, they have a skill called compulsion. So they could basically just make you do what they want you to do. So no more problems with, you know, Congress and Senate and everybody fighting that the vampires were in charge. So Right. I think if it was run by like, the cast of What We Do in the Shadows, we might have a fighting <laughs> chance. But like, I don't know, man, because there there's some bad vampires out in like stories and stuff. Like, there are what bad if humans. Dracula was president? Bad, bad. You know. So, I don't know well, what we, we do in the shadows cast, they didn't do very good on the Vampire Council. So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't see, know I they feel do. like I would. I'd be like, wow, that looks like a disaster. You have my vote. <laughs> we may as well give it a shot. It's got to be better, right? <laughs> right? Than what we've got going. So yeah. I'd vote for a vampire, sure. Yeah, let's just roll the dice. <laughs> a few oh, years ago, I was like, I'll vote for a drunk monkey. If- <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Anything but the, you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, before we say too much, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, I, yeah. I should have known better than to go politics. I just, I just it, that thought, <laughs> which just came out of nowhere. Of yeah. Like, oh my god, somebody with that much history and experience—what's mm-hmm. a no, great really job for them? Right, um, either assassin or politician. Yeah, and my coven's guys, there. my coven's guys in the first series were actually very old, so they had been around like in ancient BC times, mm-hmm. and um, that was really fun because I had them talking. Uh, in a contemporary context about people that were well dead, like Cleopatra and people like that. Um, the oh, current Cleo, series. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, I, know. Oh, <laughs> I haven't been here since Cleo. Don't was let her get things, drunk at a party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they knew her firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, but this current series, the assassins, they've only been around for maybe three or 400 years. The oldest one. So if you're a huge history nerd, do you have like, a specific time in history you really like or like a, a point or like somewhere in the world history, like world history that you're really into? Yeah, I'm really, I'm mostly into, so favorite time period is the Italian Renaissance. Um, favorite continent, I suppose, is e- Europe in general, because it all kind of ties in together, mm-hmm. right? So much was happening around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, it's funny because again, I grew up in Massachusetts and I'm so sick of American history. Particularly the Revolutionary War, because you get a lot of that when you live in um, in in Boston. You have to go see the recreation of the Boston Tea Party twenty times in your life. So um, I'm not really I, I'm I'm well aware of American history, early American history, but I'm more intrigued by the history I wasn't um, so commonly exposed to. I like ancient Egyptian stuff too. Right. Kind of cool. Well, and a lot of what we know from history is what was written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very European focused because mm-hmm. that's what we've bothered to save. Yes. Uh, even though there are rich histories uh, in oral tradition in many other parts of the world, like yes. what we can read about, it's mostly the white folks in Europe. Yeah, History is written by the victors, as they say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is a big gap in history for sure. But um, with the world evolving the way it has, and mostly the internet, um, you're getting more and more exposed to these other stories, which is really, again, for someone like me, it's really cool, uh, especially because I'm um, not white. And so it's really interesting to find out 
all these other things that were happening um and not just the not just the revolutionary war mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so let's talk specifically about the book that we have coming out uh next week can you tell us a little bit more about eternal sin uh and specifically uh the two gentlemen who we meet and follow their story yeah so sin is uh one of the vampires and he is he it's funny because he didn't come to me first it was actually thorn um who's one of the other brothers in the story who gets a book that i'm about to start writing next week um thorn came to me first and the most vividly um but i didn't start with his story because i felt like we thorn is a character and i felt like we kind of had to ease ease into getting to thorn's story um, so Sin came to me first, and uh, the funny thing about it, too, is the, the place where I go and get all my tattoos, the store manager there is a female whose name is actually Sintiki, but she spells it S-Y-N and the rest. Mm. And so I was like, can I borrow your name? And she said, <laughs> sure. So um, Sin was born. and um, That's amazing. Do you usually ask permission? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I was going to say, would you really not have used it? If she, was she was like, like no, actually. No, but, um, I knew she'd be cool. Plus I knew I'd see her again. Yeah. Right. And, um, they know what I do at the shop. Cause my tattoo artist is, tells everybody. Great. So I was like, yeah, she could kind of come across that one day. And so I mm-hmm. better. And then she showed me the tattoo on her leg, which is two men engaged in things that are, it's a good place for it because you can intimate hugging when intimate you need to. Hugging. Yeah, I was gonna say wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, well, she's okay with what I do for a living. For when two sure. men love each other very yes. much, they yes. wrestle. They wrestle. Mm-hmm. They wrestle naked. Um, <laughs> so I just happened to, you know, I just happened to have that conversation with her when she told me her name, and I saw how it was written. Um, anyway, I built the character around the name, and I built the titles around Sin's name. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're kind of, you know, his is kind of a pun, if almost, if you will, uh, eternal sin. So uh, I also have this vision in my mind of Bowie, who um, I had this idea of Dorian Gray, kind of mm. um, this just unusually beautiful man. Um, but he wasn't aware of it, unlike Dorian Gray. So he was just living his life, trying to survive, doing his thing. And he comes across Sin committing a murder. Um, but that's Sin's job. And Sin sees him and is just immediately, you know, s- swept up in him and proceeds to be a little creepy, but in a vampire kind of way, um, mm-hmm. stalking Bowie and pursuing him and ultimately finding out that they're fated mates. Yeah. I have to admit, so the premise of the book is is very cool because they are hired assassins. They are. Great job for vampires. Yeah, for sure. Makes it a is. lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I had to read enough of it to make sure that it wasn't too scary for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know I don't do scary things. I know. I love that about And you. I don't do dark romance because it freaks me out. <laughs> So I had to make sure it wasn't too dark. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, like I, the way it makes so much sense, the way you have not only the, not only the way you've written it, but also the way like the clients that they take and the people that get axed, 
you bring me on board for that. Oh, good, good. And I, I definitely, it was hard to kind of figure out where it falls because I didn't want dark romance readers to think it was a dark romance because they would be disappointed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to scare off people who are used to what I write like thinking, me. yeah, thinking it was going to be too dark. <laughs> Um, and in my coven series, my vampires don't really do anything like that unless they have to, and they don't take on any mortals, really. They are fighting other supernatural Mm. beings and covens, but in this world, they're in a contemporary world in an urban environment and they're, they're taking on real mortal people and killing them in cold blood, but they are vampires and they are also assassins. So I think the the contrast was showing them in the rest of the time when they're not working, they're kind of marshmallows, you know, they're kind of sweet guys. They're, they're broading, you know, dark vampire kind of guys, but Thorne isn't, he's just a character. But um, I, I wanted to make sure people who currently read me still understood that the romance itself is typical of what you would expect of Mia Monroe. It's very low angst. Um, there's external angst going on and there's definitely some blood and gore that's not typical for my contemporary romances, of course. But, um, you know, it's not creepy and it's not scary and it's not too violent. Well, it's kind of violent, but it's not... Um, it's, it's violent. It's not gratuitous. violence. Yeah, yeah. it's expected yeah. violence. And you know it's coming. You always know it's coming. Yes. And it's in service of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, again, they have, they we, have a job. We, because it's, a, yeah, it's part of their job and it's also part of their nature, mm-hmm. which is, I guess is another part yeah. of vampires that maybe might appeal to some part of us that like. Like the monster part? The, well, like the fact that they need to drink blood, mm-hmm. like the violence is necessary to live and we work very hard not to be violent people. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. I do. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I have to turn that voice off in my head. Right. And vampires get to embrace it. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that. um Polite society requires us to, con- you know, contain a lot of our rage and anger and things that we might like to say and do to people that upset us. Mm-hmm. Um, vampires don't have that moral compass. They don't abide by society's rules at all. Um, and even one of them, I'm not sure if it's Sin or Midnight, says, you know, we fit in. We fit into the level that we want to fit in. You know, mm-hmm. so they they blend in with society enough to function. But underneath it all, they, they follow their own rules. They don't abide by what society says is the polite thing to do. If you cut a vampire off in traffic, you might lose your head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I suppose that could happen now, too, but you're going to go to jail and all that other stuff for it if you do, you know, if you commit some kind of road rage here. But a vampire could make it look like nothing ever happened and you're just gone. Right. Um, so I do think that's some of the appeal of, a morally gray character that they can get away with some of those base instincts that the rest of us have to repress. Well, and I, I think you balancing like that scariness of them being able, like being able to commit murder and it's fine, or like being able to drink blood and that's just part of who they are with them. Like you said, being like marshmallows on the inside. That's I think so necessary when you're writing those kind of would be terrifying love interests because you have to make them more human even though mm-hmm. they're not you know mm-hmm. like you right. have to make them likable so you give them the gooey center which of course i'm a huge fan of i love making monsters the like big cinnamon rolls like that's my favorite trope <laughs> yeah 
And I, I think you're right, Maz. I think if you don't, um, especially with a vampire, I think you have to show that there's still some some semblance of their humanity that they've held on to. Mm-hmm. And it mostly shows up in the fact that they they can have these chosen family environments that they are very committed to. They banter like brothers and, and sisters. and But they also, when they meet the person that they're meant to be with, it kind of unlocks that humanity that, that was always there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the important things of writing um, probably any supernatural character, a monster, a shifter of any kind, um, a vampire, anything that can be dangerous. <laughs> um, there still has to be something in them that we can all relate to. And uh, being in love is something that we can all relate to, whether we're, you know, violent bloodsuckers or regular people. <laughs> we're having a very philosophical discussion about vampires, but... <laughs> As we're talking about it, I'm also thinking just like the idea that if they're living so long and they don't fundamentally change like personalities, uh, at least in the world you've created, like it's not like they become a vampire and they become someone else. And I think in most vampire lore, they continue to have their own thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm. just with like extra. Somebody who lives for three, four hundred years, several thousand years, it's not that they're not human. They might be more human than we ever get the chance to become. I mean, it's a good point because it's basically you, but without the confides of knowing that you're there's a finite amount of time on Earth. Mm-hmm. So you really just get to be full you all the time because what, what do you got to lose? And largely unworried about the consequences of day-to-day life. Yeah. Always unworried. And mm-hmm. I think that... For some of them, you can see sadness in them because of that. Like Eve, the character Eve, has a sadness about him because he's been alive longer than the rest of them. He made all of them. And he also has, you know, tried many times to find love and he hasn't been successful at that. And I think that regardless of the fact that he's a vampire, like that's something that we can all really relate to. But think about it. We we have maybe a short amount of years that that might be a concern. He has infinite number of years, and so there's a sadness about him. If you if you've ever seen the mo- uh, the movie Only Lovers Left Alive, um, it's a really artsy kind of quirky uh, vampire movie with Tilda Swinton and. Um, Tom Hiddleston, right? Tom Hiddleston, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tom Hiddleston. We is, like Tom Hiddleston. I don't know. Yes. I, I, I like Tom. both of them. Listen. I like them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is some just bisexual want, disaster shit for yeah, me. Okay, like, good. I, did, I, yeah, didn't speak, exactly. I didn't want to speak for the group, but no, we no. like Tom Hiddleston yeah. around we, here, and I like admire Tom Tilda Swinton. And it's a, very, it's a very good movie. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> it's a very good movie, but um, it centers around he's very lonely and he's depressed, and he's just tired. He's just tired of living. He just doesn't want to anymore. And I I think that would be a very real thing for a vampire to go through at some point in their existence. Yeah. You know, that, that mm-hmm. one of the things that makes life, I guess, sort of vibrant for us is that we know there's an end date. We know, we don't know when, but mm-hmm. we know that this isn't forever, right? You hear the, oh, you only live once and blah. Carpe diem, I have carpe noctum shirt on right now. But um, you, we know that you have to enjoy the moment because it's fleeting. The vampires don't have that. So I do think that they all react slightly differently to that. Like Thorn, for example, 
vampires don't feel the sensitivities of things like we do. Like we drink a cup of coffee to get a little boost. We drink wine or alcohol to get a little drunk. We smoke a little weed. A vampire doesn't, isn't even affected by that. So he goes to these like extremes that would kill a normal mortal just to feel something because he's just did you, bored. Did you ever see the, um, either read the comics or watch the series Preacher? No, I've never okay. even heard of it. There is a vampire in that that is probably my favorite version of a normal person getting powers they don't need at all. So he is this unhinged, crazy drug addict vampire who's just nuts. Like he just, the same kind of behavior. Like he does this crazy shit just because he's, been alive so long like why not why not so he's he's just doing like he drinks antifreeze because like that's the (laughs) thing that can now get him high because he's so like desensitized from everything else and i just love that because i'm like yeah if you're just a regular person who now is alive perpetually till whenever you feel like just walking into the sun basically you kind of have to like make your own fun you know what i mean like and he's just yeah it's like i i love that concept when it comes to humans just being human too long (laughs) you're gonna hit a wall eventually you're gonna hit a wall exactly and i I also think that's why it's really funny that um you know vampires are in my world they're always bisexual or gay because like why would you be straight like why would you be straight anyway but like why would you be straight for eternity Mm -hmm. if you didn't Mm -hmm. have to be obviously sexuality is you know not a choice but you know what i'm saying it's fiction so all my vampires well, are I th- yes. I, th- I think the concept there is that there are far more people on the spectrum of sexuality yes, than exactly. currently acknowledge it. Exactly. Uh, because they never they never had to think about it and they didn't yes. have the opportunity to well, act they can't. On it. Right. Right. They without the confines of religious and uh, societal structures, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you go and try something that is offered to you or that you've thought of once or twice because there's no, there's no negative reason not to, you know? Yeah. Although I do still think there would be small populations of people who are purely into the opposite sex or the same sex. I do think there are people who fall on the very ends of those spectrums, just far fewer than we currently think. Yeah. Yeah, I do believe there are people that are actually straight. I, I think um, but I think there are less people that are actually straight than what we think or what they think because of that whole, you know, a lot of us were raised in environments where, you know, you just did what you did because that's mm-hmm. what was expected of you. Um, mm-hmm. or we grew up in a time like I did. I grew up in a time where nobody even said the word bisexual, and if they did, it was had a very negative connotation to it. It was like yeah. swingers and people that weren't um, real ethical with their sexuality. And so I never, plus I was like a teenager at the time, so I never would have been like, I'm bisexual. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm straight, but I like kissing girls sometimes. What? Right. Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> yeah. So Well, and, well, no, first of all, sadly. <laughs> but uh, I do, like, I, I use myself as an example all the time of like, I don't think I grew up in a particularly religious household. My parents weren't fanatics. We went to church every Sunday. Uh, And I lived in a largely conservative area, but not like super staunch, like Southern Baptist. Like you could not possibly think about being gay. Mm -hmm. Um, 
In fact, my parents even had gay friends I came to find out later in life. But I am still somebody who started to have homosexual feelings before I even knew what gay was. Yeah. Like yeah. the concept had not been introduced to me early enough in life to understand the feelings I was having inside my own head and body. Yeah. So like that, when people are like, not quite understanding the expectations thing or like yeah. uh, how much education and representation can matter. It's like, exactly. I am an example of like, if only by 12 years old, any human person in my life had said the word gay and explained what that meant, I would have known what was happening. Mm -hmm. Instead, I, I spent years being confused and upset and thinking it would just go away. My twenties would have been, well, my twenties forward would have been real different. Had I, had I understood that bisexuality was a thing that happens to non-weird people and mm -hmm. non-married swingers. The luckiest people. <laughs> yes, and that and that dating women could have been a choice for me. Um, I didn't even recognize that as an option. And mm -hmm. now I'm in my 50s recognizing it, kind of pissed off about it, but um, <laughs> better late than never, I suppose. So yeah, representation does matter and discussions do matter. And I think that's why we have to keep fighting, you know, against the people that don't want it mentioned, don't say gay, don't talk about it in schools and things like mm -hmm. that. And um, I think that's why we also have to write books with gay dinosaurs and vampires and mm -hmm. dragon shifters. And so that some little, well, hopefully- Occasionally no, humans. No 12 year old. We sprinkle them in. Yeah, they're all got, they've all got human mates. But, um, <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. Some well, of your guys fell in love some with of the our guys dinosaur shifters. Don't, yeah, yeah, in the dinosaur. Mm -hmm. And in, in Mika Nix, one of our dragons is with another shifter. But um, mm -hmm. I was about to say, so some kid could find it. But hopefully no kids find our books, but they find them right. when they right. turn 18. <laughs> older kids. Older adults. Um older kids and, and stuff so they know that this stuff is um is normal and that um and they can be that too you know they don't mm -hmm. have to hide for so long yeah well and and just a like a piece of my own family right now so my mom is the my biggest fan and she's amazing but she didn't know a lot of this terminology she didn't know what a lot of this stuff was until she started following my work and reading my posts and reading my books and we'll have these cool conversations about it i recently found out that one of my um, what's, what's the gender neutral term for like niece or nephew nibbling nibbling one of my nibblings um, has recently told her that they're queer and so my mom now armed with all this information was able to approach it being like I know what that is and like oh. I understand and like you know P-flag grandma <laughs> yeah she was like she was like so excited that she, like this person was able to like felt comfortable coming to her and stuff and so we were talking on the phone with it or about it yesterday and she was like i just you know i i now know how to like approach this and i know it's important to like not out them too soon and we're like kind of discussing like how we want to go about doing that and all this stuff and um it it just it was one of those cool moments because of course i'm proud of my mother and my nibbling for both of those things but like had she i not talked to her about this stuff or like had she not had the vocabulary she wouldn't she would have been completely taken off guard and not known how to navigate the situation but because that is now such a normal thing for her she can and that's awesome so that stuff and is so deeply important it is and your nibbling had that experience of being accepted by somebody 
uh, especially from somebody from an older generation of them. Right. And Mm -hmm. you think about how hard it would be. Well, I know like my grandmother and I were very, very close. She, she died um, in 2021 and um, I didn't utter my sexuality to a single soul in my family in the event that it would somehow make it back to her. Mm. Uh, No. Yeah. And when she passed away, um, she was 91. So, uh, you know, she lived a great life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I finally felt comfortable coming out to my, my brother and we are, we are close, but I never even mentioned, especially cause I've been married to a man for 14 mm-hmm. years. So nobody would ever question me as not straight, you know, and I brought it up because his daughter, my oldest niece is bisexual and um, I said, well, so am I. And he was like, oh, cool. And like for him, it was just like, oh, neat, you know, no big deal. But for me, just being able to say that out loud to a family member mm-hmm. was just it was just wild. And I and that's on such a small scale compared to people who have to, um, you know, have a same sex partner and come out or have or transgender or um you know, non-binary or something, explaining all that to their families. And I, just that small little bit that I experienced, I thought, wow, you know, I can't imagine what it's like on a, you know, a much bigger scale or scale that's affecting people, um, mm. you know, affecting people's uh, perception of you more directly. Right. But I don't think you can compare coming out experiences. I think as long can't. as it was good, yeah. then amazing. You can because there's 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 pros and cons to each way. You know, I also yeah. I came out at seventeen. Uh, I had a couple other friends who were coming out around the same time, so I wasn't alone. But at the same time, I didn't date anybody for like a year and a half after that. So I got the questions of, "How do you know?" Mm-hmm. It's like people don't trust you to know what's going on inside your own mind and, and heart. They don't, uh, especially at a young age, right. uh, yeah. if, unless you have proof. I hate that. Yeah. But I hate the, that question. But at so the much. same time, if you come out because you're dating somebody, well, now there's extra scrutiny on that relationship. And like, are you sure you're really gay, or is it just that person? Mm-hmm. Or like, what have they talked you into? Mm-hmm. Uh, is oh, this yeah. just a really Influence. close friendship, and you're taking this the wrong way? Like, yeah. People who don't want to believe someone who's coming out will find the justification for not believing them. It's very uh, true. And, Regardless of the situation, it is hard to do, and it is tough to have that very first conversation. It is true, yeah. My my thing I always ask them when they ask, you know, are you sure or how do you know, is I say, well, how do you know you're straight? I, I don't yeah, even right. say anything else. How do you know you're straight? Have you ever tried it? How do you know then? And that they get very flustered, but I'm like, well, it's just how I feel. Well, then I think you answered the question. You know, it's yeah. just how but you maybe feel. They- Maybe they don't feel it with as much certainty as they think they should. And that's why they're fighting it. Totally agree. I totally agree. The more I, I mean, it's psychologically proven. I'm no professor in psychology by any means, but I read a lot and I, I pay a lot of attention to these topics just mostly so I can argue with people. But if you, the more you push back against something, it's almost certainly because it's triggering you. And if it's triggering you, well, why? You know, and I know I think it's wrong to um, make fun of like, um, you know, the jokes that go around when like a pastor or a politician are being especially anti-gay and, you know, the jokes that, oh, well, he's just secretly gay. And um, 
I, you know, I think there's some harm in that because the connotation is, isn't great, but, um, you know, the, unfortunately that joke exists because it's been proven correct. I was going to say, um, but how many times yeah, has that happened? Times, <laughs> which yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been proven correct so many times. Um, but now there's more of like a psychological reason behind it. Like, you know, if you're pushing back against something so much that you're like angry about it and making laws and talking about it on your Sunday pulpit, you know, there, there's something you, you should probably deal with, with a, a therapist maybe. But um, I, I think that sadly, a lot of people get into situations, whether it be religion or politically, where they find themselves in, in a corner, if you will, um, where there's a lot to lose if they were to embrace some of those feelings and, and thoughts that they're having. Um, and that's by no means, a, um, you know, a pass for the kind of behavior that goes on. Um, but I really believe that, you know, they, they marry the perfect woman and they have the kids and they sit in the front row at church on Sunday and they vote for all the conservative measures. And they're doing that because that's kind of the life that they built and got pushed into and the expectations of it, you know. But um, with sexuality, I also firmly believe that um, you can only tamp it down for so long before something's going to bubble up on you, whether it be the urge to act out and experience that or something, unfortunately, more negative than that. Um, and, and I think there's so many cases that we've seen that I don't understand why there's such a difficulty um, in accepting, the, you know, people's what they tell you is true, whether it's their sexuality or their gender expression. Um, we, we've seen it play out. So it's one of those frustrating things to me because there's plenty of examples of um, how this can go wrong if we don't embrace people for mm -hmm. what they tell us is true. Amen. Yeah. Not where I thought this conversation was going to go. Yeah, we go. took like a hard, like deep conversation, like segue, like just. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I think you should have so strong opinions about it if you're going to write queer romance. Yeah, yes, for sure. I agree. Exactly. <laughs> uh, just so we can bring the conversation to a close about yeah. the book, though, yeah. uh, is there anything else you want our readers and listeners to know about Eternal Sin or what's coming up uh, next in the world of uh, the Eternal Sin uh, series? Deadly so, Immortals, is uh, that what it's called? Immortal Assassins. Immortal Assassins, thank you. Um. I just finished, well, right before GRL, I finished the fourth book, which is Endlessly Raphael. Next week, I start Thorne's book, which um, is a fan fan favorite. People are very much looking forward to Thorne. No pressure. No pressure. Um, oh, we just did that at the same time. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> after that, I'm writing Eve's book, which is also a fan favorite. Everybody's very excited to hear the original maker's story. Um, I know what his story is, so I'm very excited, but I have to wait like three months to start writing it. Um, and then after that, there's going to be a spinoff series that um, is still in the new Onyx world. Um, and it's going to center on the guys that run Lair, which is their um, vampire nightclub. And um, for those that read book three, Always Arrows, which came out right before GRL, um, one of the characters that was introduced in that book, Hale, he will be a main character in the spinoff series. 
So my year 2024 is pretty much, uh, pretty much planned out. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the pod and for telling us more about Eternal Sin specifically. And uh, our listeners, uh, our Patreon members at the Dear Listener level will be able to hear uh, the first book, Eternal Sin, next week, Friday. Yeah. Exciting. I cannot wait. It was so amazing to have Mia back on the show. Um, just to remind you guys, the audiobook for Eternal Sin releases next week on November 24th. You can get this exclusive audiobook at our Dear Listener level, or you can grab it at a discount at our Dear Reader level. And as always, the audiobooks are available through our Hoof and Fang audiobook shop as well. Yeah, and we hope that you will check out all of Mia's social media in the show notes and our social media. You can follow us individually or you can follow the show. Uh, check out our website, which is how you can get to our Patreon and all of our social media and uh, our audiobook poll. We still want to know what you think about our January 2024 audiobook. Let's start 2024 off with a bang. Yeah. Uh, maybe literally, depending on the book you choose. <laughs> um, actually, I think they all have banging. No, maybe... We'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> the website is hoofandfangpodcast.com, uh, and you can get to our Patreon through that as well. And just so you know, we will be taking off next Friday from the regular pod, but there will still be a surprise for you in the podcast feed. Yes. So we will be back the following week, the first Friday of December, mm -hmm. and we will chat at you then. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye.